0: listening to the Redemption Road podcast. This week we are doing part two of the addiction series with my family, mom and dad here. So uh, if you've listened to other podcasts, you know that my dad has been a pastor for 35 years. Is that right, Dad? Yeah. About that?
1: Give or take a a month or two. Okay.
0: (laughs) Really down to the month. All right. So in that 35 years, 34 years, 11 months to be exact. Uh, <laughs> um, you've experienced, uh, some people in the church who had addiction and yeah. one of the things you, you did a lot of it, in the pastor, it was counseling. So would you, would you mind talking a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, going, being a pastor, that was one of the arguments I had with God that, you know, I tried to convince him that I should go into counseling cause I could make more money. <laughs> and, um, but I just said, well, then if I'm going to be a pastor, then. I want to do more counseling. And so that's always been a part of, of, uh, of my life that way or the, the ministry. Um, but as, uh, we got into Chicago, uh, I realized uh, that I'd have guys come up to me and go, Oh, pastor, that was a great sermon on step four. And then, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, then the story would come out that they were, they had some addiction and they were going through the 12 steps and things like that. and And I was like, step 4 what, what is step 4 right i had read but i hadn't really paid that much attention to it and so and and more and more guys were going wow you know you really understand us addicts and i found out that god was bringing a lot of men in particular but not only men who had addiction issues to our church and uh and and so i started paying more attention to the 12 steps and what was going on with that um and Uh, on top of that, then got involved in a men's ministry that specifically was weekends where guys can come alive uh, and, excuse me, and, and heard stories of addiction on the weekend on a consistent basis. So my heart just more and more is like, wow, this is a real problem.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, the church really isn't doing a whole lot about it other than maybe giving a, a, and a, you know, uh, a place to have meetings at right uh, during, during the week. Uh, but not a whole lot more than that. So it's
0: almost like, uh, dealing with those sins wasn't allowed or how would you describe that? Cause there is some kind of a culture there in church where like we don't actually deal with our sin. We just repent from them. And that's called dealing with it. Yeah. Does that I, make sense what I'm saying there? Go ahead, I, Mom. Go I ahead.
2: always felt like if you invited people to have an AA meeting in the church and you weren't present, that you were the the idea was that um you were condoning the sin. There was a mm, lack of that's un- interesting. Yeah, there was a lack of understanding. One of the things that I read in the 12 steps for Christians was that um, I think as as it pertained to step three, where you surrender your life to your higher power, um, was that the analogy was made that the star led the wise men to the Christ child, and they were led By just a star, just a light, a faint, you know, a faint beam of light. Right. And that idea of just that faint beam of life leading people to the truth. Yes. And that's really what an AA or an NA meeting in your church is. Right. And so many churches don't recognize that.
0: Yes. The ability to interact with the addicts for Jesus as opposed to... Guilt and shame for their sin,
2: and, and and just that that little beam of light that allows them to come, but not be flooded with the gospel.
0: Right, right, absolutely. Because
2: absolutely. then you can't see, because you're just flooded. That's right. Yeah. And the, That's right.
1: there's a real lack of understanding in the church too um, about the the neuro, the things we talked about in the last session. Right, the neurology and the emotional connection, and so we just declare it sin. Yes, And so all you have to do with sin is stop it you know, <laughs> right. just stop right. it and you'll be okay. And, and, and addicts, if, you, if you're uh,
0: not seeing that SNL skit, go look it up. Yeah. It's hilarious.
1: <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the, uh, the concept of just stopping behavior, the addict has been trying it and wants to do that their whole life. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and so then when the church is just like, well, all you have to do is just stop. And, and then the other solution is come to Wednesday night Bible study and come to the men's group on Saturday and come right. to church on Sunday and pray more and do your devotions and pray more. Of, that's a good None of those things are, are wrong or bad. No, they're none all good. They are all good. Very good. And they all, they're all, but, the but the issue of, I can't stop. There's something that else that's going on. There's a it's biological right. it's more thing. complex. Yes. And, and so the church, uh, d- struggles with really seeing, uh, it as more than just a spiritual problem. Right. Um, and I would say then what I struggled with along the way too was if I'm going to work with addicts, I'm going to get deep into the mud. Yes. I'm going to, it, it, it's, it, I'm going to get dirty, not I'm going to sin, mm. but I'm not going to be able to walk on the path of cleanliness you know so physically and everything and not be dirtied by their struggle i will be going to places uh to help them that i would not normally go or want to go right emotionally spiritually and physically yeah um so uh, the church says no, no 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 you come here to us and and hang around us and that will solve your problems. And it, and it doesn't. Right. And so a lot of addicts see the church as a place where they can't go. So the reality that these guys were coming to church and saying to me, wow, you really get us. I was like, Whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. So that's uh, interesting. Yeah. So that's kind of the foundation of how I got connected more with, uh, with the whole topic. Right, and in doing it, then I realized, wow, the twelve steps actually are discipleship. They're actually the principles that the church uses, uh, uh, to to help people grow in their faith. Right, and we all sin, and we all have sins that we can't seem to stop. Yeah. So, what in the world do we do with that then? Hmm. Well, we hide them. We pretend we're not there. Right. right? We act like you know, an addict. We, yeah. We, <laughs> right. we, 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 do all, we do a lot of Guilt things. and
0: shame and all yeah, of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and so I'm like, wow. Well, all
0: which brings death.
1: Yes. Every Christian needs to recognize that they are addicted in some way to sin because their sin nature yes. is continuing in their lives. It, it doesn't go away until Jesus comes again.
0: Right. One of the things I tell the guys uh, in Redemption Road all the time is, we have pain in our life, whether that's physical pain, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's spiritual pain, and none of us like experiencing the pain. And so we do something, we do something that helps us not feel the pain. And that is your addiction. Unless that something is going to Jesus with your pain, right? Unless you go to Jesus with that pain, whatever you went to, you're making your God. That could be four hours of TV every night while eating a bag of chips. It could be shopping. It could be driving fast cars. It could be working in the shop by yourself while you drink. I mean, it could be anything. It could be illicit drugs. It could be pornography. I mean, it could be. There's so many things that it can be. The key is, and it's at its simplest form as I understand it, is when you feel pain, what do you do? and where do you go and that will show you where your god is your small g god and it'll show you where your addiction is and there's these disc- there's this difference between socially acceptable addictions and not socially acceptable addictions right watching tv and eating a bag of chips is a very socially acceptable addiction that we often do in groups they're called Super Bowl parties, so it's that kind of thing, right? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> right. <Yeah>. And, <laughs> and right now we're
1: in coronavirus stuff, so people are on Netflix. Right,
0: right. Tiger King, Paradise, right. All this stuff about all these things, right. But I'm just saying, it shows the world. and We have to say it, right? People <laughs> love this stuff. It's a real thing, yeah. and it's not all unsocially acceptable. You throw the word addict out and everyone gets defensive. Like immediately, I'm not an addict, I'm not an addict, I'm not an addict, I don't have any addictions, I'm perfect, and they just get real dancey. It's right? I have
1: my life well that's under control. That's right,
0: that's right. And you know what, you do. And just because you have an addiction doesn't mean you're totally screwed up. It doesn't mean you're a terrible person. It means you have pain and you don't wanna feel the pain. And that is crazy normal, that's so normal to not want to feel pain. You have to intentionally go into the pain and bring it to Jesus to even get through this stuff. And we'll get into that later. Now the addiction stuff that began to get really close to home for our family. So dad, why don't you start talking a little bit about that? And then mom will tell a lot more of that story.
1: Yeah. With uh, working with a lot of the guys in the church, then, you know, I, I, I was just—I thought I was very familiar with all that was going on, and I mean, the truth of the matter is, is if I thought any of my children, or my wife, or myself, you know, were struggling with addiction, we would—I'd be able to pinpoint it, you know, right on. Can
2: I just interject that at the time of this story, I was a school social worker.
0: Yes, of course. Yes,
2: and, and so I uh, saw firsthand kids who were ad- addicted to drugs. I knew the. I knew the signs yep. and yet I missed it in my own son. Yeah. And so I, th- so you
0: both were in that boat.
2: So oh, yeah, I, I, right. I think that when it hits so close to home, that um, love is really blind. It just, it's just blind because right. it's just too hard to
1: see. Yeah. Right. And you'll talk more. That's a part of that codependent right. <laughs> type mm-hmm. thing that we weren't. We, mm-hmm. well, we didn't have that problem. Sarcasm. If you didn't hear it, right it was there. Yeah. Um, and so we had been on a vacation that was really traumatic for us. And I won't get into all that, but we come home and it's like, oh, whew, we're home. And I get a call from a, a, a currency exchange place. Mr. Harsh. Have you been here? Cashing? Oh, gosh, <laughs> have you been here? Cashing checks at our currency and sh-? And I'm like, I know where that is, but no, I have not been. Well, somebody's doing that and we're just, just wanted to inform you. I'm like, who in heaven's name has stolen? And I'm not even really thinking about my son at this Of point. course not. Right. That's not your first go-to. But at the same time, it's in the back of my head. Could this be my son? And so I turned to him and I said, I need your help. Uh, at these currency exchange places, they have videos Uh uh-huh so we're going to go down there and we're going to ask them to show us the video and we're going to see who this person is and you and i are going to go tune this guy up (laughs) who are you talking to who's you and i i'm talking to my son
0: oh oh (laughs) no you're talking to andrew (laughs) oh gosh
1: (laughs) (laughs) and and so what does andrew do we start walking down the back he goes we we start walking down the back steps of our of our of, of our house and I get to the back door and I open the back door. And so he's about three steps above me and he says, dad. And I turn around and look at him. I go, what? He goes, it's me. Jeez. Everything within me just wanted to explode first. Yes. So the anger, I just, I wanted to punch him in the face. Right. It's I, like, and I, but at the same time, I didn't, know what to do and it was at the same time it was like no what our, our son no what why, why is he doing this what what is right. this all about well, I, what if you haven't wanted money just let us know we'd we'd give it you know we'd help right him. right and, and and so so i just
2: i'd notice things but not one not ever put it together and noticed him nodding back his eyes would roll in the back of his head during church i'd noticed um a complete change in his demeanor he was very mean very Mm. disrespectful um i noticed that he was lying to me because i would ask him about things that seemed so obvious and he would make excuses and lie and so after we discovered that he was um cashing checks, um, I called a um like a a place where they'll drug screen you. Yeah. And um and Doug and Drew went there. Yeah. And you can Yeah,
1: so we step in and I'm sitting in the waiting room and the nurse comes in and takes him back and uh they did a drug screen and uh, talked to him a little bit about it and then came out and the words that I thought I'd never hear in my life uh, were, you know, Mr. Harsh, just want you to know your son is a heroin addict. Wow. Wow! And uh, you know, uh, as a pastor, I had heard lots and lots of other people's stories, but when this became our story, my story, um, it, uh, rocking my world isn't even close to what it was for yeah, how yeah. Barb and I were um, affected, affected by it. Uh, why don't you tell a little bit more about that for, for you too, Barb? Um,
2: yeah, I, I just remember just being in absolute disbelief. I, uh,
1: yeah, denial, yeah, yeah. denial that, it, that it, it could be. even
2: be true. Yeah. Um, and then I just went from denial to, um, absolute grief. Um, how could this, you know, how could this happen to me? I tried so hard to be, I had a uh, grandfather who was an alcoholic and a father who was an absolute workaholic and I just couldn't comprehend how, um, When we had tried so hard to model, um, you know, just moderation, I I was really adamant about not drinking, not necessarily because I thought it was a sin, but just because I didn't want to even open a window for the possibility of misuse of any kind of substance. So I, I've always had been of the belief that when you're 21, if you want to drink, that is absolutely your choice, but I don't want to be the one to give you a window to misuse this. And, um, and so then here we are and it's just, you know, and so there was just this sense of, wow, this is so out of control and as much as I thought I could like be a good example and make it something that's like controllable for my kids, you know, in the end they have, they have a free will, yeah. they have choices.
1: And so I, I remember us talking to Andrew and of course at this point, Andrew was, uh, I'll do anything. And you know, we found out later I was, I'll do anything to get you off my back right but at this point, was- yeah the addict was still alive and and we well, were alive and well yeah we weren't <laughs> yes. we were still weren't really seeing it yeah. it was like oh it's in the open now it's in the light he's told us and so oh well we'll help you uh, obviously you're going to need to go to na and and uh we and you uh, do you, can, mm. can you handle your money? No, dad, I, I don't, I don't trust myself with the money. Oh, well have your boss who I knew have them, you know, give us the checks and you know, we'll put them in, in a bank account, our bank account for you because, and when you need to pay your bills, we'll help you with that. And, um, you know, I do feel safe, you know, with your car and he goes, well, I don't really, I, you know, I think I can, I, if I easily drive to the spot, I can tell, you know, I can make up a story and the drug dealer will give me my stuff and I can pay him later and, you know, I can manipulate my friends. And so, oh, we'll get, we'll, we'll hold your car keys and, you know, we'll drive you to your meetings and do this. And for literally three months, we were working his program to excellence. Um and right. uh so he's is, playing you this whole time. Yeah, he oh. was playing us. Yeah, he was playing us the whole time.
2: I remember one day he told me to drop him off at this meeting and it just felt so wrong. And um so I went and I told the one person in the church, well, who knew because he was a recovering addict and I said this felt so wrong and he said trust your gut. I think you're being played and so later on we went back and i said you have to show me specifically where this meeting is i need to know cuz th- that was just such a you know ambiguous thing and he's like no mom this this is the old neighborhood
1: and i was like dang it's where his dealers were yeah it's
2: yeah. where his dealers were so, um,
1: so he,
0: he's con- in, in his addict, he's conning you to take him to get drugs.
2: Right. But we think we're helping him, right. but we're right. enabling him. Yeah. Right. But th- this
0: is all part of what addicts do. Yeah. And
1: he was, he was specifically going to NA meetings where there are a lot of, uh, kids his age who were also doing the same thing. And so when they would take their breaks, they would use together uh, is what we we were finding out and what he was telling us. Uh, but we didn't know that all along, but we did realize that was kind of the first thing of, wow, we are really codependent. We are working his program for him.
2: I think the final thing before we set really rigid boundaries around the whole situation was when he drove up in his car. Do you remember that?
1: Uh, that's right. He had been using his car and I just felt like something was wrong about where he had gone. Um, and uh, he had told me two months earlier that one of the places he, where he stashed his drugs in his car so the cops wouldn't find it. Wow. And so when I, I was waiting, I was waiting for him when he pulled up into the, into the parking lot, I came out. And I asked him where he was and I could, he, at this point, I was like, oh, you know, this is BS. He's, he's playing me. And well, you could look in his eyes. Right.
2: And by then we knew. We were, yeah, we were seeing We were aware of his and, you know, the physical, the physical, mm-hmm. the physical mm-hmm. stuff
1: yeah. that it came. And so I just opened the door. He was still sitting in the car. And I reached in and I, I pulled out where a vent uh, that I, that, and there were, there were bags and I pulled those bags out. And of course he starts apologizing up one side and down the other and feeling full of shame and everything. And, and, uh, but I'm furious. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, no, you're pissed. How dare you continue to do this to us and lie to us. And so all this is before he detoxed. This is all before any detox was. Well, No,
2: this is, this is, he detoxed. And then he relapsed. Oh, that's
1: right. Okay. I, I sat with him with through him. detox. That, he would not go. The, that is hell. Yeah, he wouldn't go to a hospital Mm-mm. for help, which we would not recommend to anybody. No. That you go through that. that And, and nope. don't let the addict because of the physical stuff, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. Um, so I actually made him come back into the house with me. We opened up the, the, the bags and we dumped them in the toilet and flushed them. Oof. But, uh which was really hard for him,, well, I can't imagine. And for me as well. Um, but that's then when we were realizing he's relapsing, he's using. And uh, Barb and I had been going to counseling off, you, know, not off and on, but not weekly. Uh, but it was mainly, I remember uh, I, I don't can't know we, I was struggling with who do we blame? You know, and I was looking oh, at our family right. I was looking at our family of origins and I was going, My family doesn't have any addictions. I wasn't seeing the food addiction stuff <laughs> that my family was all about right. <laughs> at that time. Right. But, um but uh, I I uh, who's to blame? Oh well, you know, Barb's grandpa had an alcohol problem and some other people in her family, so it was her and I was looking who to blame, whose fault is it? And uh, it was really unhealthy. And we realized if we're not on the same page, if we're not a, a team really supporting and working together at this, we, we're going to, this will destroy our marriage. Um, and we found statistics that a large percentage of couples going through this kind of thing, uh, because of that blame game and the stress and the pain and looking at yourself and realizing, I I'm, I'm codependent or I have a part of this. Um, I have addictions too. They, uh, they would end up in divorce. And so we wow. couldn't allow that happen to us.
2: Well, I, I remember one of the main things that we did in counseling was to come up with some non-negotiables yeah. and some of the non-negotiables were no more drugs in the house
1: Total abstinence.
2: Total abstinence. Uh, uh, drug testing every three days. I used to buy drug tests by the caseload. Um, literally
0: a box, like a big box. Right. Like two feet by two feet with how many tests in there? Like a hundred or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was cheaper that way.
0: <laughs> that's, well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs>
1: that was my concern. Yeah. It was,
0: it was like legit, guys. Yeah.
2: Yeah. At first, I was just going to the local drugstore, which was way too expensive. So I... I ordered them online and uh, got them by the caseload, a breathalyzer every time you enter the home. Uh, So, and then go to a recovery program and work the 12 steps. And if you tested positive, the deal was, I'm kicking you to the curb. And the thing was, Doug and I had a very hard time agreeing on how long that should be. So the big thing in counseling was... How long do we do this? Do we do this for six months and then loosen up? And, and the funny thing was, I I think tend to be a little more nurturing and, but, um, and always, you know, like the loving mom kind of deal. But um, I was adamant more so than Doug that if he tested positive, we were kicking him out.
1: Yeah, your mama bear was really out.
2: I was so mad that he would do this to himself and our family. And I was adamant that we were not going to tolerate any more of this. Yep. Um, I don't know. To me, I don't am I allowed to swear? <laughs> <laughs>
0: do what you gotta do. <laughs>
2: to me, this was just bullshit. Right. I was so mad. Right. And so I was like, "Nope, nope. This is the deal." Yeah. I think the other place where I had to set boundaries was around my heart, because Andrew and I had a very tender.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're hearing a lot of the grief work that we had to do in this. Please realize if you're in the parent side of things or in the spouse side of things, there's a ton of grief work. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But we were just, when he was young, there was so much tenderness. Yeah. And so I just had to set boundaries around my heart because, um, there was so many cruel and mean things said to me that were just disrespectful. And um, I just needed to realize that that honestly was not the Andrew I loved. Yeah. That was the addict. Yeah. And I think if you have a loved one who is in active addiction, whatever that is, you know, um. I, I think that, uh, that addiction just takes over and changes their, um, changes their demeanor changes, uh, and they become very, um, angry and argumentative and, uh, there's, I mean, there's proof it changes your physiology. Um, so that makes sense, but, um, yeah, just to be able to, like, take that step back and say, "I need to set boundaries around my heart. I will walk with you. I will set these boundaries, these, like, these physical boundaries for you. But I also will set some boundaries around my heart. Otherwise, I won't survive this."
1: Yeah, the, we're you're dealing. We were dealing with the addictive personality. Um, And we got to the place where we could actually in his eyes and in his face and by in his eyes, I don't mean just he's using, you know, pupils changed by, but we could actually see when the addictive personality at the very beginning for the first, it's, it's literally off and on during the first year when the addictive personality was showing up, we knew we saw. Um, And so when we actually put that a list together, a kind of a a covenant with him together of what was, what we would do and what we, what, what was required of him in order for us to continue in relationship with him for the sake of his life and ours. Um, uh, he, when I first brought it before him, uh, I knew I was talking to the addict and, uh, I was nose to nose with him telling that addict to let my real son come <laughs> come out i
2: I think the other thing that's just important to note is as we put this whole covenant together with all these boundaries we bathed it in prayer yeah and um i I don't want to give the impression that I think that First of all, I know many parents who have done similar things and have not had their son or daughter um, re- go into recovery. Yeah. So I, I want to acknowledge that that is, um, that's something that I am so thankful for. And it's.
0: Yeah, they still have a choice. Right, right, right. And that goes a little bit to a, a speech, and I put that loosely, that dad had with Andrew on choose life or choose death. Yeah. yeah. Is that right? And that was yeah. all part of this covenant that you guys created. Right. Yeah. Right. And dad, would you tell a little bit about well, that?
1: It, and it was from it was from uh, Deuteronomy when Moses was talking to Israel. You know, you're going to choose life or choose God or choose uh, a false God. And uh, so, yeah, when I stood before him, we were offering him life. Right. And we were asking him to choose life. And it goes along with your heart and boundaries that you talked That's about, right. Barb. Because we literally had, in counseling session, had to deal with, what if our son says, screw you? Right. What if our son says no? and And then he will be choosing death and that terrorized that terrified me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew we had to see, we had to deal with this as it's life or death. It's, it's the, the God of the, of his drug at that point, or it's, it's truly choosing and living in the light. As you said, uh, you know, that follow that light or, or life. And, uh, yeah, we celebrate that on that day uh, a little over 10 years ago. Cause this last December we celebrated 10 years of his sobriety. Right. Um, he chose life, but we do, we do know uh, the, that many parents have not experienced that. And uh,
0: yeah, it's a choice. He still has the choice. You can't force him to do anything. It's that choice choose life or choose death. And that's true for all of us listening to this podcast right now, right? Whatever you have going on, whether it's workaholism or heroin or any spectrum of addiction, that's the question that you can ask yourself right now. Are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? It's all about that. It all comes down to that. And we're going to get more into the depths of this and the details and the science and that kind of stuff, because it all helps you choose life to know these things, right? But really at its core, it's choosing life minute by minute when you're just trying to get out, right? And then you can go to hour by hour and then day by day and then week by week, right? But in the moment, it's just, man, sometimes Andrew is having to choose it second by second, yeah. you know, and he's, you know, detoxing. I mean, it's brutal on the floor with sweats and the whole night he told me about it. And I was like, man, that just sounds like pure hell. It was, (laughs) you know, Uh, mom, we're going to close the podcast by you. You just share a little bit about what one of your close friends at the time shared with you. She shared a quote with you.
2: Right. So one of my close friends um, who was in a a Christian recover program, um, shared with me, you know, that I just needed to really own that I was not the cause of this. I was absolutely not in control and I'm not the cure. Mm. And I would muse that over in my head and it sounded, it sounded so good, but it was like the hardest thing to own. Um, Cause I felt very much like I was the cause that I had done something really wrong. Uh, there was so much, um, turmoil and shame.
0: The message being something like you're a bad mom, right? You should have protected him
2: better. Right.
0: Like all these different lies that come in. right? Right.
2: And I very much wanted to be in control. I, I was pretty clear that I wasn't in control. Um, and I just believed that somehow I had to, I had to fix this. And so, really owning that and learning to just uh, live in that and let go and mm. let God was a really huge part of the journey.
0: Read it one more time.
2: You're not the cause, you're not in control, and you're not the cure.
0: Mm. All right. Well, I hope that uh, you have found this to be uh, life giving and uh we really pray I know our prayer of our family is that Jesus will use our story and our experiences to bring life of Jesus over all of you if you have any questions about this please do reach out uh, to redemptionroad.com or uh eagleswings.com uh they my
1: eagleswingsco Eagles, co.com
0: got it yep eagleswingsco.com um Doug and Barb here they have a counseling ministry I'm I'm positive they'd love to talk to you and uh, so feel free to reach out to them that way Uh, till next week when we talk more about codependence we'll see you then